Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 188. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to talk about the very polarizing reboot of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Oh no, not a reboot. A comeback. It is a comeback. And I remember when they announced this comeback at Investor Day a couple of years ago, I was excited when I heard the casting of Andy Samberg and John Mulaney, but I wondered then exactly how they could pull this off because for those of you who were raised on the Rescue Rangers, they sound and act a certain way. And I wasn't sure exactly how John Mulaney and Anne, uh, and Andy Samberg were going to pull that off. Right. As much as we're big fans of them, it doesn't directly translate to anything Chippendale, whether it's a film or Rescue Rangers. Uh, but I think that was the intention behind it when they released the poster on on Investor Day. It wasn't even really a poster. It was just the Rescue Ranger logo, yeah. which I think they did to clearly identify that it was Rescue Rangers coming back and not another Chip and Dale movie. Uh, and they did give us that tagline of not a reboot, a comeback. So it really did spawn a million questions from the jump. And then... You know, you got two trailers that didn't really give that much away. And that's sort of why we wanted to come and discuss this film today, because we don't normally do films that are this new. Uh, but for me personally, I'm still very much back and forth trying to figure out how I feel about it. So I'm hoping that by talking through it with you today, I'll be able to to have a more concrete feeling on yay or nay, was this worth doing? Right, because the first two trailers that came out, they were not very good. And we kind of wondered what's happening here. Is this just going to be a bad film? Or is this a good film that just had two crummy trailers? And there are people that... there, There's nobody in the middle here. You're on one side of the fence or you're on the other side of the fence when it comes to how you feel about this. So was it necessary... Was this the film we wanted? What's the future of the Rescue Rangers? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up on all the new releases. It's 1982. Chip and Dale meet each other in the third grade and befriend each other as they bounce their comedy off of each other, quickly becoming a duo. Uh, after high school, they go to Hollywood, and after playing small roles, they land their big role as the Rescue Rangers. In 1990, after season three wraps, Dale tells Chip that he has signed on for Double O Dale, which is a surprise to a very upset Chip as he fears the Rescue Rangers will be canceled. Done being a second banana, Dale moves on to Double O, which was canceled after its pilot while Rescue Rangers was canceled following Dale's departure. 
in present day. Dale is doing the FanFest circuit, hoping for a Rescue Rangers reboot following his CGI surgery. Chip, meanwhile, is selling insurance and living with his dog, Millie. When he gets a voicemail from Monterey Jack asking for help, Chip goes to his apartment and learns that his cheese addiction has gotten the best of him, and he owes money to the ruthless Valley Gang. Monterey Jack fears that he will be kidnapped and bootlegged like Flounder. Basically, you are being kidnapped, they erase your mouth, they do a whole animation conversion on you, and they sell you on the black market to make bootleg Disney films. We also learn that Gadget and Zipper are married with a large family. Dale arrives as Monterey called him as well, so Chip offers to help Monty, but leaves him and Dale alone. Later that night, Monty is kidnapped, so Chip and Dale go to his apartment to answer questions from the police. Sergeant, uh, or Captain Putty, I should say, tells them that the Valley Gang and their leader, Sweet Pete, keep evading them. They also meet Detective Steckler, who tells them that they have two days to find Monty, as the bootlegging process typically takes two days. Dale convinces Chip that they should try and find Monty, so Chip reads the label on the Gorgonzola cheese that he threw out at Monty's, and they set off for Main Street to get info on where he may be. At Bjornsson's Cheese Shop, they ask to buy stinky cheese and wind up being kidnapped and taken to Sweet Pete, who is actually a middle-aged, washed-up Peter Pan, who sells cartoons away to be bootlegged. When Chip and Dale offer to pay Monty's debt, but uh, he rejects them, this is uh, Peter Pan, because he doesn't want them escaping knowing his secret, so he plans on selling them to bootleg them for a reboot of Rescue Rangers. They eventually escape through a toilet, so Pete and his gang set off to find them. Uh, Realizing that Dale and Pete wear the same step tracker, they call Steckler to get her to help them track Pete's whereabouts and find Monty. She said that they need to get her the tracker as she is unable to obtain warrants because the captain stopped trusting her after a bad lead led to chaos at the Nick Jr. Studios. Chip starts doubting Ellie as a fan when he realizes that the show did not air in her hometown of Albany and she cannot say what her favorite episode is. Using storylines from old episodes of Rescue Rangers, Chip and Dale go into a Russian bathhouse disguised as plumbers to get Sweet Pete's, uh, step tracker out of his locker. After listening to a remix of the Disney Afternoon theme song and rapping to it, they steal the step tracker and it tracks them back to the San Pedro docks. The police raid the docks and find a CGI conversion machine and evidence of all of the missing tunes because we were told earlier that Flounder went missing. There were a lot of tunes that went missing. They also see that someone was recently there and knew that they were coming, so they escaped before the police could arrive. Inside the machine, Chip ends up with a Snoopy ear, and upon exiting, they find Monty's mustache and come to terms with the fact that he has been bootlegged. At the police department, they smell Monty's cologne coming from the captain's office, so they leave not believing that they can trust anyone. We also learn that Dale did not want to do Double O Dale the entire time. He was just hoping that Chip would... Uh, acknowledge that he was more than just a comedy sidekick. They go to FanCon where they are tracked down by Sweet Pete, 
Jimmy and Bob. Their appearance together is well-received, but Chip is grabbed by Jimmy, leaving Dale alone. When Steckler tries to apprehend Pete, Putty reveals that he is the inside man who also uh, is set to ruin Steckler's career and put in the false report that led to the chaos at Nick Jr., Ellie calls Dale, telling him to come to the bootlegging facility, and told him that When You Fish Upon a Star is her favorite episode as a code to tell him who was behind everything. Needing help and transport to the facility, Dale asks Gadget and Zipper for help, so they fly him to the facility. He rides a rocket into the facility, destroying the bootleg machine that Pete put Chip into. Jimmy and Pete get bootlegged when the machine malfunctions, but Pete turns into a supervillain. Chip and Dale escape into the bootleg studio to see that the movies were being made there the entire time and they were not being sent overseas at all. Steckler freezes Putty using a fire extinguisher as a weapon and shatters him. Using an old storyline from the Rescue Rangers television series, Chip and Dale hit each other with a bar, causing cartoon birds to arrive and distract Pete, who is partially a cat, because he is like seven different kinds of villain all at once. They then get help from Ugly Sonic, who has been working the circuit with Dale, as well as the FBI, because supposedly he's going to have a television show with them, and they drop a cargo net on Pete. As he is arrested, Pete fires a cannonball at Chip, but Dale dives in front of it and is feared dead. Chip admits that he had no friends until Dale arrived at school that day and that he shouldn't have treated him as a second banana. Dale survived after a slammer from a pog set that he had been holding onto absorbed the blow and all of the bootlegged characters are found and set free, including Monty. With all of the Rescue Rangers reunited, they are now reconsidering the idea of a reboot. That is a very complex plot for a Rescue Rangers reboot, let me tell you. Especially because we have sort of seen it in Zootopia, which I feel like for those that don't like it, that's one of the bigger gripes. Yeah, that's a big gripe. I mean, here's the thing, and let me just get this out of the way now. When we, we talk about it a lot, especially when it comes to like Star Wars and the MCU. There are just certain pieces of art. There are certain pop culture phenomenons with source material that if you don't follow it by the letter, people flip out. And I understand why. Um, I think the fact that they are acknowledging that this was a television show and they were actors and they were never really rescue rangers has people set off but there is so much validity to what you just said about Zootopia because so many people are saying that this is just a Zootopia ripoff and while I don't necessarily agree because I don't want to give away my final feelings on the film it's very hard to debate that it's not almost the exact same movie. Right. And to your point, as far as Chip and Dale playing a role on Rescue Rangers, the other natural comparison is who framed Roger Rabbit, uh, which it's not. I'm just going to come out and say that. Who framed Roger Rabbit? It's no secret. We love it on the show. 
It is a masterpiece. It is genius. Do I think this film ripped it off? No. But if that was the goal, this pales in comparison. Before we get more into our review, I want to start off with the castle opening. Yes. That was when I knew everything that we've ever known was about to get flipped on its head. I love that they changed it. It's Arendelle Agrabah. I think it, it almost looks like a like a Mary Blair kind of Incredibles type of castle on the bottom. Yeah. And I forget what the other one was. Um, was it? No, not Cinderella. I don't think it was Cinderella, but the, it changes. And upon first viewing, I had no idea why it was doing that. It wasn't until we watched the movie the second time through that I realized that they're giving away the CGI conversion machine, the animation conversion machine. I loved it, though. I, I thought it was such a clever thing to do with. The, I mean, I love any time that they do something clever with the opening, but um, I think this set the tone to your point, it not only gave away the CGI conversion, but it was also a hint that everything that we know, you're going to recognize things, but they're not going to be the same. Correct. Let's start talking about the actual film here. Specifically, something that jumped out at me right away, which doesn't work, is the timeline. Chip and Dale met each other in 1982 in the third grade. 1982. Rescue Rangers has its first season in 1987. Ooh. This would have made them like 16 years old when they made the Rescue Rangers. How did they go to Hollywood after high school if they're not even old enough to graduate yet? Yeah, I can. I'm fine with them not going to college, but it implies that they finished high school together and decided to take the next step together. So that's a big swing and a miss. What I did like, though, was the opening voiceover. Uh, I think even though that is a very particular style of comedy that it's still translated over and worked in this case maybe we're biased because we do love Andy Samberg we've followed him since SNL we love Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, but I don't think that his delivery didn't translate over here what wasn't working for me though is that I needed more of a setup as to why live action people and animated characters are living together and I'm not asking again I'm not asking for Roger Rabbit 2.0 I didn't want this to be a carbon copy or a ripoff of Roger Rabbit but I think it would have benefit from a little bit more setup being that they went this route of Chip and Dale are actors I think even if they had just showed them going to a performing arts high school that would have covered how they are going to school alongside live action kids. And I would have been fine with that, but I needed a little bit more than a handheld explanation of, well, this is how I met Dale. I needed a little bit more world building, especially because they do bother to show the neighborhood that they're living in and their chipmunk size home is in the middle of a neighborhood next to a normal size house. 
I don't mind that we don't get an explanation as to why humans and cartoons are living amongst each other because we've already been down that road in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and it is implied that we are living in the same universe as Who Framed Roger Rabbit because Roger Rabbit is literally brought into this film for a cameo. He is mentioned, we see him. So we know that we're living in the same universe. You could sit there and say, well, why aren't they living in Toontown like the rest of the Toons were? You could make a case for that. Um, But I didn't need it explained to me. I'm happy just living in the world where I know the universe of Who Framed Roger Rabbit exists, and I've accepted that it exists, and that this is in the same world. Um, But I think the setup works. The the timeline doesn't make sense, but I think the setup works. I don't mind seeing them meet as adolescents. That's actually interesting what you said about Toontown. I'm surprised they didn't take that opportunity to really set it up, especially with them redoing Toontown in Disneyland and putting Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway there to really tie all of this together and and you know marry it to Disney Plus even more. Marry Disney Plus to the parks, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they could have, but again, it's not egregious that they didn't. Another cameo that I love, Paul Abdul and Scat Cat. This was so great. brilliant. This was great. The pop culture references and the pop culture drops throughout the movie are spectacular. They really are. And I think this is worth mentioning now because I feel like this is another thing that the people who don't like this movie are kind of bumping on. I feel like a lot of people who haven't necessarily studied animation the way that we have are missing what a big deal this is that so many different IPs are in one film. You have to license every single one of these characters. I mean, Disney, no, because they have access to their entire library. But any of the Warner Brothers, Hanna-Barbera, uh, Nickelodeon, anything that is not Disney does need to be paid for, which can get very expensive. That's why Who Framed Roger Rabbit was such a big deal because the studios agreed to have their characters all intermingled in this one film and some put up more of a fight in others. That's why there's that infamous debate when uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are skydiving. The agreement was if if they gave up Bugs Bunny he had to have the same time, same amount of screen time as Mickey Mouse. Right. And then Disney cheated and they make Bugs drop out of the sky first and Mickey slightly behind him so that Mickey did in fact get more screen time. But anyway, I digress. I feel like that is something that is getting a little bit lost on people is what a big deal this is, not just to have all these different characters, but there's one point in this film and we will talk about it when we get to that scene where there is a 2D hand-drawn character with a 3D animated uh, CGI character and two stop-motion animation characters. This movie is a feat. It is. And um, I think that part of it, too, is that if you don't pick up on a lot of the pop culture references, some of the earlier pop culture references and some of the earlier characters um because everybody at this point knows what ugly sonic is but a lot of people don't remember tigra you know what i'm saying like right i think that 
if you're not necessarily picking up on that, if you're not familiar with it, you're probably lost and you don't understand who He-Man is and why he's there. And I get it, but um, again, I don't think that of all of the things that the movie did, I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination is the most egregious thing. Right. Um, Something that I don't think the movie does terribly well throughout the entire film um, is making you feel bad for Dale. They try to weave this narrative that Chip was controlling, that Chip spoke down to him, that Chip didn't view him as anything more than a punchline. But you don't do enough to show that leading into Dale wanting to leave for Double O Dale, where you feel that his decision is justified. Agreed. It happens way too early on in the film. We've just barely set everything up and now you already have them breaking apart. And I think that that's something, you know, they did try to play into the real life aspect of it is that to to our generation, when we were kids, it seemed like these shows ran for so long but it's because they just aired reruns for years and years and years when you maybe had only for me it was salute your shorts right yep, yep. that only ran for like two seasons two seasons but i thought it went for 5 years i yep. thought it like went the span of their high school only to find out you know when you look at imdb and you look back on it i i couldn't believe it but because nickelodeon aired it every single day and and weekend marathons like of course you felt it in the moment that you were watching the sh- same show or the same episode over and over again but it never occurred to me how quickly it actually aired. Yeah. So I can appreciate the fact that they addressed that here. Right. Um, and I can appreciate the fact that they did go this route of making it look like the band was broken up and that somebody else was going off on their own to find their own stardom. You see it all the time in Hollywood. You see it all the time with musicians I think that it was actually a very smart way that they did it. I did not mind the fact that they made them actors. In fact, I kind of appreciated the fact that they kind of lived in that world where they themselves were picking up on what was popular at at the time in pop culture because Chip is Indiana Jones, Dale is Magnum P.I. That's what it was when they made the original Rescue Rangers. So I have no problem at all that they picked up on that and ran with it themselves. And I think that it was a very easy way, not and not, not a cheap way, but I thought it was an easy way and a smart way of getting John Mulaney and uh, Andy Samberg as the leads in this film. I completely agree. But you did need some sort of incident to trigger Dale to want to take on this role. And a flashback to an episode of Rescue Rangers where he's the butt of the joke just isn't enough to do it. Where it pays off, though, is a con. I thought that that was so brilliant. Yes. It works for the plot. And it's such a great commentary on 
what is happening with all of these actors from our childhood getting a second life now? Because it started out that you would have, I hate to say it, but let's call it what it is, these C and D list actors who were on shows like, and I really don't want this to sound targeting, but it is a great example. They were on shows like Boy Meets World and Step by Step and Full House. And there's one actor in particular that happened to do the trifecta of all three. But he's also Max Goof, so we love him. I'm talking about Jason Marsden. And he was doing a lot of these cons. And it wasn't till it wasn't until recently when Goofy Movie had its big 25th anniversary that people really started taking interest again. And because one or two of these characters that didn't have as much screen time as the rest of the larger cast started doing these cons, more and more started doing it. It became very fashionable, not something to do because you were trying to save your career. And now they're paying really well for the appearances. So you're getting like whole cast reunions now, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. So it's a commentary on that, which is so accurate. And then you get ugly Sonic, right? It's like you get these internet sensations that really didn't do anything but they were famous for being famous for something. And now they're showing up and getting paid 15 bucks to sign an eight by 10 and take a photo with you. I could not believe that they actually got the license or that they kind of had the gall to (laughs) go pursue ugly Sonic. I forgot about ugly Sonic admittedly, but no, to your point too, that is something where it is like less of a taboo thing among actors now where like they're going to go and they're going to sign their stuff and they're going to make a quick buck in a day and capitalize on work that they've already done. And it's something that's not so frowned upon anymore. I think the most brilliant cameo, and there are a lot on the con floor, but I think the most brilliant one is Baloo. And they sort of alluded to him having this CGI surgery which is so funny because it's pulling from two Disney properties, really. Right. And it's implied that he is the tailspin Baloo that got the CGI conversion so that he could have a second life in Favreau's Jungle Book. Brilliant. Just brilliant. It was. And what I thought it did well was it gave levity to this idea that these actors would go and get this conversion surgery to further their careers. I love that it wasn't just Dale did it, that you took something else that was familiar, something else that was popular, something else that was also associated with the Disney afternoon and wrapped it up into a very recent live action reboot. I thought the whole thing was just very smart and it tied everything together. And again, with the commentary, it's actors trying to stay relevant. So it all worked. The only thing, I really wish they would have been able to get Bill Murray. Um, but I guess you could argue that because this is Disney Afternoon Blue, I it just would have been a great cameo, though. They got so many more, but I guess maybe they couldn't afford him after everything else. I'm okay that they didn't get Bill Murray back for this one. It's two lines. I'm okay that they didn't get him back for this one. I'll just leave it there. Um, Okay. So while Dale is chasing 
the cons and doing the circuit. You have Chip, who is selling insurance. And when the voice of John Mulaney comes out of a cartoon chipmunk selling insurance, you just realize how right they got it the entire time. It was it was the perfect thing. If you're not familiar with his style of comedy, I, I think this is sort of lost on how amazing this dry delivery is with everything. But um, go watch New in Town. I implore you to watch New in Town on Netflix. I know John Mulaney has, has not been the most stand-up guy within the past year, but he's trying. He is. And... You know, people get second chances. I think John Mulaney deserves one. Obviously, Disney believed that he deserved one. Um, but yes, his style of comedy works for the direction that they took Chip in. Um, and I kind of like the direction that they took Chip in because you needed something that was going to be juxtaposed against Dale trying to still be an A-lister even though he's not. So what better than a washed-up actor that is trying to weave his way in and out of daily life with what you would consider to be a very ordinary kind of job? But I also think that speaks to the character because I think that's what he wanted. I think that he was so, not necessarily over the fame, but over what happened, I think that he finds comfort in just, I'm going to have a nine to five and go home to my dog. I don't think that he is looking at himself as washed up, whereas Dale would look down upon this. Right. Um, and I like that as soon as he gets home and he's got his little headphones on and he takes his earbuds out and he's listening to death metal, which is just funny to hear that he's listening to death metal, but he turns on the television to go feed his dog and it's very quick, but that's where you get the first plant that flounder has gone missing. Yes. So they, they start planting early that you have these missing tunes. Um, and then you get in the freezer, uh, as, as chip is taking food out to thaw, um, you get, a Looney Tunes reference on the frozen food boxes. And that was one of the first times that you saw other than the con where you were getting not just IPs, but like reputable IPs that were going to be integrated throughout the film. Yeah. I love that. That was a great plant. Um, I also love when, and it's, it's Mulaney style of comedy, but it's also again, a commentary on current times when he goes to check his phone and he sees that there's a message on his landline and he literally just says out loud, <laughs> a message on my landline, I don't like this at all. <laughs> that's great. It is great. Um, and that's what gets us to Monty. Right. Let's talk about these bootleg movies. This whole thing is just so brilliant. It's... One of the best parts of the movie. And this is where they also got around a lot of the licensing because they are distorting images so much. I think this is where you get to tiptoe around having to pay for some of this. But it's also a great commentary because how often, and it would always be at like Walmart or Kmart, um, and I hate to say it, but it was always like your grandparents that like picked it up for you because they thought that they were getting you the real thing. You would always get these cheap 
knockoff movies that were trying to be something that was popular at the time. I love that they took that idea, made it a black market business, and totally ran with it. Even just from the jump, the idea of erasing the mouth, that blew my mind. That was so clever. It was. Um, And I had to laugh that, I mean, this at this point, because I wasn't so sure, are they going to do the Shrek thing? And Toy Story does it as well, where it's a kid's movie, but there's adult humor in there, and they toe the line. I go so far as to say no. This is, as tame as as tame as tame it can be, this is a film for adults. It is. It's a film for adults, because let's just call it what it is. You have a washed-up Monty with a drug problem, in debt to the mafia. I love that we hear him say, cheese again. That was great. It right in was. the nostalgic feels. Right. And that's the other thing that I think the movie does so brilliantly. It tiptoes around the nostalgia. When it does go over the top with nostalgia, it's self-aware that it's going over the top with the nostalgia. So they kind of do it almost like a spoof. And it totally works anytime that they do it. Agreed. It's not like when they did the Full House reboot where they jammed every line that you wanted to hear yes. into the first episode yes. just to pander to the fans. But it wasn't in a way that was ironic or self-aware. It, it just felt like a shtick at that point. And it was sad. And it was cheap. Yeah. It felt cheap. Nothing about this ever feels cheap. Um, when Dale arrives and Chip wants nothing to do with it, the whole artichokey thing is funny. But again, it's John Mulaney's comedy where he says, Monty, if you need help, give me a call. It was good to see you. And Chip and Dale, you were here also. And he just shuts the door and leaves. I also love the first encounter when it's oh, hey, how's life? And and uh, he starts laundry listing things and calls out something to fill the void of this conversation or something vague to fill the void. Yeah. It was great. Um, and Dale tells him that he's in a play that night and it turns out that he's just at a performance of Chippendales when he gets the phone call from the police that Monty has gone missing. That was very subtle. I think you had to be paying kind of close attention because the the men that are in this scene, they don't even have their shirts off, really. They're just dressed in these elaborate costumes. Well, because they're going to go out on stage and take them off. But I didn't really catch that until the second viewing. That guy doesn't have a license to practice medicine. <laughs> He's not a real doctor. Um, but I love as uh, Chip is just walking home down what I think is supposed to be Hollywood Boulevard and he sees the stars on the pavement and he's looking up and it's nothing again. It's Disney kind of calling themselves out while also calling out much of Hollywood, which is this point is just Disney anyway, because they own so much of it that everything's a reboot. Everything's a mashup. Meryl Streep though, as Mrs. Doubtfire, I was dying. E.T. versus Batman. That could happen. Don't give them any more ideas. <laughs> they would do it. And the fact that we actually get to see a clip of E.T. versus <laughs> yeah. Batman was uh, 
I didn't know that I needed to see it, but I needed to see it. I love, though, I mean, all of these little Easter eggs that they put in, they were funny enough in and of themselves, but they paid off on so many of them. They did. They really didn't leave any stone unturned in this film. Um, Back at Monty's apartment, let's talk about how we met Steckler and Putty. Putty is literally made of putty. He is a Gumby-esque claymation character, and he looks so good. He really does. This is the scene that I was talking about before, where once Chip and Dale come back to give their statements... You've got the 2D, 3D, claymation, and the sock puppet, which is stop motion. Yes. That's incredible. I don't even want to know what what the conversion of all that footage was like. And you get the donut cops from Wreck-It Ralph. Yes. So they make an appearance, too. So now you're really starting to see where they're weaving in not just the old IPs and old pop culture, but they are weaving in some newer characters as well so that a younger audience can see it, they can connect with it, and they can understand that they all live in this universe together, a la Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that is such a particularly great choice with the Donut Cops because Wreck-It Ralph is sort of in that same vein where you have a character that's performing, but then we get to peel back the curtain and see what their life is really like. And that there is a real life behind the performer. And I also like that in that scene, they don't do anything too heavy-handed to try and make you suspicious of anybody in that room. Right. You know, it could have been very easy for them to start leading you to believe that it was Ellie that did it as Chip kind of starts feeling later on in the movie. When they do weave that plot into the storyline, that subplot really, where perhaps she's not who we thought she is. You could have done it early on. I'm glad that they did it because where they did do it, it was completely tasteful. I agree. I think if they had set it up as everyone's a suspect, um, it, it just would have taken us out of it too much. Yeah. Let's talk about Main Street. So brilliant. I love Main Street. I love that we literally go on the wrong side of the tracks. That was, I was so surprised because that was like Muppety humor. I really wasn't expecting that kind of a sight gag from these two. Right. It reminds me so much of Main Street USA because everything seems like it's angelic and happy and sterile. All the while... To find out that these cartoon characters are using their innocence to sell contraband, weapons, and social security numbers on the black market. I love, though, that Dale is narrating that as we're going through, as opposed to just getting to the cheese shop and that being the reveal that there is a seedy underbelly of Main Street. Yeah, and I love that when you get to Bjornsson's, he basically is a Muppet. How was that not the Swedish chef, though? Come on. Because I think if it's the Swedish chef, he's no longer innocent. He's no longer an innocent character. How do you move on from this and make a Muppet film or television show with the Swedish chef? Yeah, but you could make the argument that Deadly was teamed up with the villains and Jason Siegel's Muppets. Yeah, 
I mean, he had his redemption. You could have done it. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world. I think it would have just been a very deep hole for them to dig themselves out of. I'll give you that one. Let's talk about another phenomenal pop culture reference, observation, whatever it is you want to call it. The Uncanny Valley. The cats. I can't believe they even got cats in here. I can't believe that they got cats. I love that they did. I love that when they see Bob, they say he's got the Polar Express eyes. <laughs> yes. Because we had never seen Polar Express before. We watched it this past Christmas in quarantine. Curiosity got the best of us. Well, well so that, did COVID at that point. Yeah, but, but people kept talking about, you know, the film Polar Express like it was this timeless classic and I'm like how did I how have I never seen this before Tom Hanks and we're not five minutes into the movie and I say to you this is so creepy it was trippy that movie is trippy but no one was safe in this scene I I think they targeted exactly who they needed to target yeah I thought that this entire thing, because they're so spot on, right? There was that time in the early 90s where everything was like looking realistic, but you'd walk into a wall, you'd get stuck in a doorway with the with the animation, and it like no one ever really addressed why it happened. So I love that they tackled it here. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you get what was also very funny, I thought, was... Sweet Pete buying all of this old merchandise that, like, nobody ever bought. Because, you know, when you have a very successful film or television show, you just license everything, like body wash. Right. <laughs> um, I love that his legitimate business was buying all of this old merchandise and melting it down to make porta-potties. Yeah, this was another area where they got really clever and you can tell they were having a lot of fun. I have loved up to this point all of these bootleg titles and everything that they had done on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, but this was just another dig at those marketing failures yeah. that you know are never going to sell. Uh, to circle back to what you said about that freaky looking want to be realistic style of animation yes uh we get seth rogan in a way that i never thought we were going to see him yeah, yes um but i love I, I think it really works to give him almost like a D, D kind of a character uh and then I, I can only speak for myself what came next i was never expecting in a million years yes this is the sweet pete reveal which has now become a bit of a controversy. Yes. You're not actually breaking this to me. You're usually the one that breaks the controversy. But I have heard of a little bit of the discourse surrounding Sweet Pete. Right. For those that don't know what the controversy is, a lot of people are saying that Sweet Pete Pete's portrayal here was in poor taste because Bobby Driscoll, who voiced him in real life, Peter Pan that is, died very young and penniless after years of drug abuse when he was no longer given a career when he grew up and he could no longer be Peter Pan. Well, Bobby Driscoll was not only the voice of Peter Pan, that was one of the last roles that he had after right. his voice dropped. He was a very prominent child 
actor specifically with Disney. He was in Treasure Island. Yes. He was in uh, So Dear to My Heart, and like it or not, he was in Song of the South. So this was one of those uh, contracts, much like Haley Mills, where uh, Disney kept returning to the same child actor because he he enjoyed the work. Right. So, you know, in this case, I I honestly didn't make that connection at first. My thinking was more like of all the characters they could have chosen. Wow. They they really came out swinging with Peter Pan because you're not going to do a villain. The villains have already been the bad guys in their own movie. So right. like, you're not going to call up Jafar Gaston to be the, you know, the the kingpin here. Um so of course you're going to go with a beloved character and I feel like maybe this was not the obvious choice, but I think this was the best choice because the whole thing is Peter Pan never grew up. And and now if we're putting him in a real life situation where he is an actor, what does happen there? So I, I understand where there are parallels, but that was not immediately what I jumped to. No, I think um, the last thing on their minds when they wrote this film was let's attack Bobby Driscoll 50 years later. I, I don't think that was their intention. And to your point, um, this film has commented and parodied, uh, parodied social media or social, social media, pop culture so much that to the point you just made, this happens all of the time. Yes. Look at Macaulay Culkin. Look at the Olsen twins. All of these child actors, child actresses that end up not really doing much after that. In fact, a lot of them end up at these cons. So I don't think that there was any ill intent. Um, And honestly, I thought it was quite funny that this was the route that they took. And I love the reveal. That's actually a really great point because I'm wondering how intentional that was to show both sides of it of what happens to these child actors. You're either going to embrace the kitsch and lean into it and do the cons or, you know, in the case, like you said, like Macaulay Culkin, Lindsay Lohan, sometimes it's just too much and it does get the best of you. If anything, you know, don't be offended by this, but look into the cautionary tale here. Right. And the other thing too, is we've already seen Peter Pan parodied as a jaded adult. We saw it in Hook. Um, and in this case, and they do say bangerang, they they hat tip hook too. They do, and then in this case, Peter is jaded, but he ends up finding a way, for better or for worse, reinventing himself and making a new career out of himself and pulling himself out of the hole again, for better or for worse. So it's not like if they would have like turned him into goob. Yes. Then I'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe that's a little too much like Bobby Driscoll. But again, I don't think this was at the forefront of their minds. I don't think they were trying to make fun of this very sad situation. But uh, like, give people a computer and a few spare moments on their hands and they're going to find a problem with everything. Right. And and the other point, too, is that in in this case the character sweet pete parodies himself in his own, not parodies he bootlegs himself in his own movie correct before he starts the bootlegging crime ring right and then you get a appearance by a coke bear 
and Jimmy is definitely a Coke bear. That's what I believe. I think so, too. With the red sweater. The the sweater is what gives it away. It's a Christmas sweater. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think Coca-Cola does this quite as much anymore around Christmas time. Like, there was a time in the 90s where every year the Coke bear was a thing at Christmas. And I remember, like, QVC and the Home Shopping Network. And you would, like, sit with your parents and, like, tell them what you wanted for Christmas. Because the Coke bear Christmas collectibles were such a thing, they had an entire show dedicated to it. It was like the Hess truck. You yes. just expected it to come out every year. I wonder if they do something with this. That would be so brilliant uh, at, at Coca-Cola and Disney Springs. Which, by the way, if you want a place for a really nice view to watch the sunset, don't sleep on the Coca-Cola store. Yeah, no, that's a great... Or the ro- lounge, I should say. It's a great rooftop bar. You get a decent drink, and the view is spectacular. But moving on from there, okay, so... We now see exactly how this bootleg studio starts to become fleshed out and we start to see all of the other characters that have fallen victim to Sweet Pete. The whole thing is brilliant. It's fantastic. Jasper the Friendly Ghost is my favorite. Yeah. I think um, watching Chip and Dale escape through a toilet, I could have lived without that one. Same. Especially because... That is such a trope of these comedies of, you know, or or animation where people will pop in and out of toilets and and you never really read into how gross it is. But they play up on that here because they have Chip cleaning the toilet. And I get it. It does fit his character. But I, I just didn't need any of it. No, but then you get another toy cameo with the Rapunzel doll in the sewer. Oh, my gosh. Um. And then an ejection into one of the most famous sets in history. When they get ejected out of that sewer, do you know what that set is? It's the L.A. River, which is Greece. Yep. It's the drag race scene from our favorite film, Greece. And then you get another very quick and final appearance by Double O Dale, which we all knew was coming. But, of course, Double O Dale is in this discarded merchandise uh, hall, wherever it is that it spits out, because of course it is, because it was a total failure. I really like that they did that, though. That is another commentary, because they did have all these toys ready to go, but they shot the pilot and the show never took off. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting thing for them to comment on, but it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when the team that doesn't win the Super Bowl, all of that merch is ready to go. It yeah. gets shipped off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about the Russian bathhouse. Another thing I cannot believe. But I but I I mean, I didn't find it egregious. I like the fact that they did it. It's so grimy and disgusting. And yet it works. I the toilet thing kind of bothered me. But for some reason, this didn't because it could have been a lot worse. They could have been a lot more gross with it. And and they didn't they towed the line really well here. And you get Stan's dad from South Park. Oh, my God. Just hanging out in the bathhouse. Great. In a Disney film. Just say that out loud. Stan's dad (laughs) from South Park is hanging out in a creepy Russian bathhouse in a Disney film. Second best to that. And it's very quick, but there is just something about me that gets all the warm and fuzzies when you hear the Disney Afternoon theme song. Yes. It's brief, very brief, and it's a remix 
but there is just something about hearing that song that like brings me back to 1992. I mean, they had to do it, right? It had to be somewhere, but I appreciate that they planted it now with this character fanboying over them as opposed to in Dale's garage where he has all this memorabilia and they just flip on a TV and it's, it's playing. And I like that they did that. They made it a little bit more contemporary, but it was still, they didn't take too much Liberty where they completely changed the song. I know. Um, And it's not uncommon that you hear these beloved songs from your childhood remixed now anyway, and redone. And they obviously comment on that later in the film um let's talk about them showing up as italian plumbers from obviously from new york they could have so easily dressed them like the mario brothers that's the one thing they didn't do and i'm wondering if because universal has a licensing deal with nintendo coming into their parks if they couldn't obtain it right because how would you get every other animated ip in this film but that's the one thing that you're missing um it's the only card universal has to play at this point because disney's taking back simpsons and marvel yeah did we uh did we need the wrapping could we have missed the wrapping how do you feel about this oh my god this this was a big miss here yeah this was weak right not just the wrapping but how many times were they going to say whale I get, you know, that especially for somebody like Andy Samberg and and really Mulaney too, improv is their thing. So I can kind of see where if they had improv this and they latched onto it, maybe that's where the ball started rolling and and they just kept going with it. Um, But nobody was watching this in edit and, and just realizing how flat it fell. And it drags on for way too long. Forever. Forever. It just doesn't end. The best part about this scene, other than Chip finally getting in on using his smarts for detective work, was when he looks at the DJ, the snake, as Dale is rapping, and he goes, can you just devour him already? (laughs) That's the best part of the scene, quite honestly. Yeah, this, it almost makes you wonder if this was a result of, you know, we couldn't get Nintendo in the 11th hour, because I assume if they were Mario and Luigi, maybe they could have done something with the star power here to to be a distraction or whatever it was. But it just seems like this was either a last minute idea or a pivot to something that didn't work because it's just so unmotivated. And for a film that by and large, is well-written, very funny, and very motivated, this stands out like a sore thumb. It really does. Like, they could have even... Okay, so you've used the Disney Afternoon theme song. Why not have Chip and Dale either sing their own as a distraction or sing another Disney song to to get themselves... You have an entire catalog of music that you could have chosen from. Uh, Or... I would have loved to hear them sing like Tailspin or something and do an, another hat tip to a Disney afternoon show. Any of those would have made more sense because the point of this was to create a diversion. Right. And I just, I, I cannot connect the dots on how they arrived here. So we get the step tracker. We find the warehouse by the docks. What do you think of that with the step tracker? I mean, it makes sense. Um, my Fitbit, my Apple Watch will tell me everywhere that I went 
on a map. And and it's one of those things that like so many people have them and I don't want to say you become too dependent on them, but I think you do forget just how much power those things have just in regards to tailing you in your day-to-day because to you it's just like a little thing on your wrist. It's like a magic band. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about it as a tracking system, so I didn't mind that at all. I guess I'll give you that one because up until you said that, I kind of thought it was it was too convenient, but I guess it does make sense for having it hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Um, but we get to the warehouse, we see this bootlegging machine, um, Chip ends up with a Snoopy ear, which was funny enough, um, it's funny that it happens to Chip, I, let me, no, strike that and reverse it, it's, it's funny that it happens to John Mulaney as Chip, because the way that he plays it off, and his generic, attitude about the entire thing his general attitude of the whole thing I should say I think the comedy there worked for having him pay the price for being in a place that he didn't want to be in to begin with I agree with that and it really can't happen to Dale though right because he's already had the CGI surgery right so I don't know that it would be as funny as having the 2D character get mixed in I also love how when they're uh, messing with the machine uh, you see Chippendale in the style of all these different types of animation. I thought that yeah. that was really cool that they, you know, bothered to create a little montage there. Yeah. Um. And then the scene ends with seeing parts and pieces from other characters, like in Ziploc bags tacked on the wall. I wish that they had saved that. Until the movie dropped, because I had seen that image. Um, they they released that as part of a promo, so it wasn't nearly as striking as seeing it in the film. Um, but it's it almost it, it's like a weird shift in the tone of this film because it's like a serial killer trophy. Yeah, I love it because I honestly either never saw or frankly don't remember seeing that imagery in any of the promos. So when we saw the movie for the first time, that was the first time that I had seen it. It wasn't, I don't recall if it was in a trailer or not, but they had released the still, I think a couple of weeks before, before it released. I missed it. I missed it, but I don't spend as much time on social media either. You do so much of the social media for monoreal and you follow so many of the Disney accounts for the purpose of staying on top of things that it's easier to have something spoiled for you. But it's like, but this is a perfect conversation. I didn't see it. It was shocking. You wish you hadn't seen it. Right. So I think there's something to be said because we're looking at the same scene and having two different reactions to it because you had something spoiled and it wasn't spoiled by somebody who leaked an image it was done by disney themselves so if they had held it perhaps it would have been better off for everyone right because that was the first point that they had alluded to other ips being in this film because you still didn't know what it was going to be and then you see all these you know they're just recognizable enough, like Jimmy Neutron's hair or the Cheshire Cat's tail. Uh, you know, there's so many. I, I don't even know that you can call them Easter eggs because they are easily recognizable and they're supposed to be. But you're right. I did recognize the tonal shift in the film, but it didn't 
hit me the way that it should have. Sure. Um, let me ask you how this hit you. When we get out of this scene, the next scene, if I remember correctly, is it is back at the police station. And Chip and Dale start bickering because they believe Monty's gone. They found the mustache. Right, in that wall of trophies. Yeah, and Dale immediately goes on to his social media to promote that he's going to be at a con signing autographs that day. Right. And Chip flips out, rightfully so. And in their argument, Dale admits that he didn't even want to sign on for Double O Dale, but he did it for the attention because he just wanted Chip to admit that he needed him as something more than the butt end of a joke. This was weak. Well, this goes back to the problem that we were talking about earlier, where Dale wanted to leave Rescue Rangers because he didn't want to be, to use their phrase, the second banana. Yeah. And we had said that that sort of seemed unmotivated because it was only, you know, one instance where uh, he had to take the fall to be the distraction. And that he did it on the show just didn't seem like enough to make him want to leave. That coupled with, you know, when they're in the club at the party, they keep shoveling uh, nuts in his face while Chip is laughing it up. It still was not enough to motivate him to want to do Double O'Dale. And now they try to pay off on that later. And again, it falls because we didn't have enough of a setup the first time. I think the problem is every time they try to pay off on it, it's paying off on it in the middle of Dale doing something unsavory. Like we think Monterey is gone and he's out there promoting, come and see me and give me money for an autograph and a picture. So you're not doing anything to make him the sympathetic sad crying clown in the iron lung. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like he's just not working. And for a film that for the most part, I said it before, is really well written, very intentional, very smart and very funny for whatever reason other than the rapping, the one thing that they got wrong consistently is Dale's complete uninspired motivation. Right. And it it fails as far as character development and you kind of needed it as a plot point. So it does feel contrived because he needed to get back to the con to go talk to Sonic. Right. So really, it's only for sake of story that they did this and you favored plot over character here. Yeah. And the other thing that happens here is it starts to really bury home the fact that there is somebody on the inside that is working with Sweet Pete and Ellie is a very solid lead because they smell the Rescue Ranger cologne, which they say smells like almond brother, uh, almond butter and gasoline, and Monty always wore it. And they could smell it coming from the captain's office while uh, Steckler is in there. I thought that they did as good a job of making her the prime suspect for being the inside person because earlier on in the film, 
it's not in Albany. My grandmother used to tape it, mail me the tapes. It doesn't sound like that's what would have actually happened. Right. So when they pay off on it here, you do get that false sense of security because the other thing is she's the one that's been working with them the whole time. Right. She's the one that said, give me the step tracker. She's the one that got them there. She's the one that realized immediately that someone beat them to it. They did a really good job of setting her up to be the villain. Almost to the point where it seemed like they did a bad job of it because it was so heavy handed. No, she's a great red herring because you're right. They also call it out and say, do you think it's putty? And they're like, no, it's way too obvious. It's always the captain. And they even reference their own show saying it's always the captain. Right. So we get to the con now because they escape the police station after seeing a sign on a park bench for Senator Butthead, uh, who's trying to crack down on bootlegging. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and back at the con, you now get Ugly Sonic again, who they have to go to for help, but he is just not interested in helping them because, as he says, you want something fast? That's Sonic's thing. Ugly Sonic works slow. And now we believe that he's also full of it and that he doesn't have a television show coming with the FBI either because they keep telling him it doesn't exist. Now we start to believe that he really doesn't have any inside sources with the FBI. Right. Um, and you get Jimmy Bob and Sweet Pete now chasing them around this convention. And a, a line that had me rolling both times that we watched this movie was when Peter runs into one of the Lost Boys and they go, Peter, you grew up. And he goes, yeah, death is coming for us all. It, brilliant. It's so funny. Um, and then you get like, not a, not a remix, but they, they do a, uh, a cover of You Can Fly in the score. It's yes. very subtle. It's hysterical. It's great. Um, and then they literally call out the fact that Chip and Dale, or at least Chip, was based on Indiana Jones. Because when they go to get him into a disguise, he grabs the first thing he sees, which happens to be from an Indiana Jones booth. Yeah, that was great. I do like it as a hat tip, but it also works because now, you know, Dale has been working these conventions and working the circuit by himself. Now they're people think that they're appearing together. Uh, so that also draws attention to them that they don't want on themselves in this moment. Maybe Dale does. Maybe Dale does. The other thing that happens here is that you get all of these people that are either bounding or just dressed up as their favorite characters. Yes. You get a Borat. You do get somebody in a Ghostbusters shirt. You Bell. Have you have Bell. You have Paul Rudd there signing autographs. Oh my god. In one of the great cameos in this film. I I love it. I love it. I the funny thing is, I have seen him at a con before. He was at BookCon for like no reason other than Nick Offerman was there. And he came to the pa uh Nick Offerman and Aziz Ansari and and he came to like hang out or something. It was great. I love this complete multiverse now. It's it all of the pop culture is amazing because unlike Who Framed Roger Rabbit, this is not a knock against it, mind you. Unlike Who Framed Roger Rabbit that just talks about the Toon World and live action, this does Toon World live action, but pulls from APs that Disney doesn't own 
that are not animation related. That was the thing with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was very much about IPs they didn't own in animation. But in this, it's like an amalgamation of everything. And they bring all of it in. And I love that they, that like they have created a universe where we recognize that all of these other films and all of these other shows and all of these other comics exist in one place because that is our reality. For sure. It's it's sensory overload seeing all of it come together, but this is where I can sort of overlook the fact, I know I had a gripe with it, I was talking about in the beginning how they didn't draw the line between animation and live action. This is where it all works because it does pull it into our universe or should i say 616 i don't know i don't know um all right i think now we're getting towards the end of the film speaking of all the meta we almost forgot the best part we have like every facet of seth rogan that's right (laughs) all laughing at the same time they did not waste that opportunity yeah you have his character in this film the D &D looking guy uh pumbaa yeah and um, why am I drawing a blank on the third one? It's another character that he voiced. Yeah, I don't remember if it was Minions or, or what it was. But I think it was another one of those DreamWorks films. I don't remember what it was. It was great. Um, maybe Disney will Madagascar? buy Madagascar? Maybe. Or Ice Age, one of those? I don't I know. I don't know. Maybe Disney buys it and we talk about it someday. Let's talk about the third act of the film here, its conclusion. Um... I think now we get back to the docks. I think my favorite hat tip that nobody, I'd almost, I'm not going to say, I'm not, I can't be the only person in the world that's, that has seen it. Like the numbers just wouldn't add up and they wouldn't make sense. But for all of the pop culture references, for all of the tributes, for all of the cameos, for all of the Easter eggs that are being put into the spotlight the one that nobody seems to be talking about and if i am the only person on the planet that saw this then i deserve a medal um is the nine men boating company (gasps) i miss that it's written on the side of a huge vessel nine men boating company oh i love that it is probably the best Easter egg in the film. I love that. I love that they didn't just make a point of making fun of all these different types of animations and poking fun at all of the different studios. This shows that they really did their homework and that they do really have an appreciation for animation by putting that kind of a tribute in there. That's that's amazing. Right. Now, at this point, Chip is there with Sweet Pete and Jimmy because he was captured escaping the con and now dale is off with gadget and zipper because he needs transport he needs help to get to the docks um and you knew that we were gonna get the rescue rangers all together at once but like this just works i love how they all come together here or at least gadget and zipper and dale in this moment I actually thought it was a little late. I actually would have preferred, I think, if they had split up Chip and Dale earlier on, and maybe it would have spared us the rap scene. 
and Dale had to go get the gang back together and convince him maybe they were off put by him doing all these cons and not including the rest of them. Even if Chip didn't want to do it, they would have been down to. And and then he's got to mend that fence and get them to help. They could have. If it would have spared me the rap scene, I would have been fine with it. But at the same time, I kind of loved that we did hold until the end. It gave us something to look forward to. And I didn't mind that we had Chip and Dale, you know, really attached at the hip the entire time, just solely based on the fact that Chip wanted nothing to do with it. So um, I thought that for comedic purpose, it worked. For payoff, it worked. I would have happily traded that to get out of that rap scene, though. Yeah. And anything to get out of that rap scene. Now we get to the finale here. Dale arrives, the authorities arrive, we now know that uh, Putty was the inside man the entire time, um, and the rocket that Dale rides in on malfunctions the machine that uh, is doing the, you know, the bootlegging process, changing the characters, um, and so when it starts to malfunction... I had this false sense of security and I thought, okay, that's just the end of the movie that Sweet Pete is just going to get fired over and over again by this machine and it's going to make him into an ant or it's going to make him into a chipmunk too or a bunny or something that's not that intimidating, never thinking that it was going to turn him into a supervillain and I thought that that was excellent. I agree, but I wish they would have gone all villains because seeing Woody's leg in this amalgamation is going to haunt my dreams. The Wreck-It Ralph though, that was pretty clever. It was. But I really wish that they had more of like a hook base, a Captain Hook base and they pulled from a whole bunch of other, you know, like Captain Hook and Cruella's fur coat and with Maleficent's horns and that, that would have been really great if they had leaned into all the Disney villains. Yeah, um, it's not what they did. Could it have been better if they did? Maybe, but I don't. Um, I don't have a problem with how they did it. I thought it was kind of odd that they gave him a kitten head. Wasn't that? Um, wasn't that in Rescue Rangers though? It may have been, and I just don't remember it. I, I can't think of the character's name, but I definitely recognize that kitten. Or it might have been a play on the villain that they did show uh, in the Rescue Rangers episode that they flashed to before. Perhaps. Um, did the finale feel rushed to you? That was going to be my question. It didn't necessarily feel rushed because I do like that we get all of these bootlegs back. What I don't like is that it was so easy that they were there the whole time. And they do sort of call attention to it. They call it out and they say, I thought bootlegging took 48 hours because it was overseas. And they realized that they were there the whole time. It would have been more effective if Dale had made that discovery on his own, then went to go get the rest of the team and bring them back to set everyone free. I feel like it was far too convenient to just realize, okay, they're all here. I think maybe that's why it felt rushed, because the pacing of it is just fine, but that's where it felt rushed, because to your point, they were just there the entire time. Um, And then you get the Rescue Rangers back together, 
they make the joke about the pop star, the international pop star, re-recording the theme song. Turns out it was Post Malone. Didn't see that one coming. Um, but I think the worst kept secret that they literally just handed it to us on a silver platter is that we know Disney's going to end up rebooting just about everything anyway. And, I mean, I, I think... And I don't think it takes a genius to read into this, that they basically told us that Darkwing Duck is going to be the next one. I'm more than okay with this. I'm okay with it, but um, I would rather them see... I'm not complaining. I'm happy to get Darkwing Duck back. I'd rather see them do something like Bonkers. Go after a character who we didn't get, by the way. That was a huge miss. How was Bonkers not one of the cops? How? Yes, it makes no sense. He wasn't in it at all. I kind of wish we would have gotten, if I mean, at least Goofy and Max, maybe. I thought we were going to get a little bit of everything from the Disney afternoon. Yeah. We didn't get it. Um, But I'd love to see them give Bonkers another shot because I feel like, obviously, the Rescue Rangers, big following. Tailspin, big following. Goof Troop, big following. Darkwing, big following. So many people forget about Bonkers. I, th- I really thought we would have seen more of him here and they could have weaved him into some other reboots to then give him his own reboot. I think that if you have police officers living in this universe where it's a cross between live action and animation and it's, I mean, you do get the Disney afternoon theme song in this film. The fact that you did all of that and he's nowhere to be seen tells me that other than having him on demand on Disney Plus, I think Bonkers has just been put out to pasture and I don't think we're ever going to see him again. Here's the thing. I can give the pass on not making him a cop because then that does sort of break the fourth wall with the wor- world that you've set up here because they're, if they're all actors, he's supposed to be playing a cop. Baloo works because he's already had his live action remake. So he totally gets a pass. So I can kind of see where they didn't go that route with Bonkers. But how you didn't have him in this, what I would have actually preferred, as much as I like the Paula Abdul cameo in the beginning, that should have just been the Disney afternoon celebrating a successful run instead of all these other IPs. I mean, I loved seeing Roger Rabbit. You get the three little pigs in there. But like, it would have been more effective if because the Disney afternoon was so popular, if they had leaned into that as a celebration for like the network's biggest stars. Yeah. Um, All right. You ready to talk about the cast here? Uh, There is one more thing that we, we glossed over. Uh, We get a near death scene with, with Dale and he's saved by a pog. Yes. Um, The slammer. The slammer. Yes. A pog would not have done the job probably. Yeah. And it completes his collection. Um, It was fine. Um, Was it necessary? I think only because you had to have Dale do something to make him less selfish. And you had to do something where Chip exposed his real feelings and, you know, not that he was asking. Well, he was sort of asking for forgiveness. Right. Uh, but he did acknowledge the way that he he treated Dale. He fessed up to everything. Um, but I don't know that I needed that. It just seemed a little forced that, you know, 
Chip thinks he's dying, so he's going to confess everything. It was it was okay. It was fine. I it didn't bother me. Was it kind of weak? Yeah, a little bit. Um, could they have done something else? Yes. But you had to do something to make Dale a little bit more likable, and I guess you needed Chip to admit his faults, although I don't really know where those faults are. I mean, that's the thing, right? We're at the end of the film. I still don't see where Chip was wrong in any of this. Right. We shouldn't be sympathizing with one over the other, though, but we do. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the characters now, uh, starting with Chip and Dale, voiced by John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. We mentioned them before. The two of them have a working relationship going back to SNL. The two of them are very funny individually, but you put them together and it is gold. I agree. Um, I I don't know that there's a world where this works, where they are voicing the Rescue Rangers or they are voicing Chip and Dale in a film, but for what they did here, it's fantastic. Yeah. Will Arnett plays Sweet Pete, knocked it out of the park. Yes. Um, Eric Bana plays Monterey Jack, which is a surprise because Jim Cummings voices Monterey Jack in the television show, and Jim Cummings voiced characters in this film. Eric Bana did a good job. He was fine. Like, I honestly could not have told you the difference between one and the other. That's how close he got it. I just don't understand why, if you had Jim Cummings anyway, why he didn't just pick up the Monty role. Awkward. Especially because Eric Bana hasn't done much. I mean, maybe maybe he's friends with either Malini or Sandberg. I mean, obviously, Will Arnett is. They go back to SNL. So I can see where you're you're going to, you know, use your friends and and use the talent because a lot of them are very talented when it comes to voiceover. I can see where that's a natural choice, but if you have the OG, why wouldn't you go? Well, that also that also might lend itself to the idea of they're all actors. So maybe you didn't want the real voice because who Monty is in real life, quote unquote, is different than who he was portraying on Rescue Rangers. Maybe, but you got Tress McNeil as Gadget who voiced her on the television show. Well, then so, I got nothing. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, it was fine, but it was strange. Um, Keegan-Michael Key plays Bjornson. I didn't see that one coming. When I saw that Keegan-Michael Key was listed in the credits, I couldn't figure out who he played. After looking it up and then re-watching the film, makes all the sense in the world. I had no idea that Keegan-Michael Key was such a Disney file until the Christmas parade. But yes. I love how he's willing to just take on these oddball roles just to be with Disney. Yeah. Seth Rogen, we mentioned him before. He plays Bob. He also has his reprise as Pumbaa and a handful of other characters that he's voiced. I like Seth Rogen, but this is like the most Seth Rogen you're going to find. He is just Seth. When we talked about the Lion King, I said, oh, is he just going to be Seth Rogen? But he wasn't. He really did a good job and really took on the character of Pumbaa. Here, I this is just Seth Rogen. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I wish that they would have let him, like, extend his range a little bit more because we know that he can do it. Yeah, this wasn't too far of a cry from, like, Pineapple Express. Yeah. Um... God, he's creepy looking, though. It's it's scary. 
it's scary. It did work though. It did work. Like I don't I don't ever want to see that again, but it it worked. Yeah. J.K. Simmons plays Captain Putty. J.K. Simmons is good in everything. So, Hank Mardukas. Yes, Hank Mardukas. So he's good in this. Um, Kiki Lane plays Ellie Steckler. I thought she was really good as the movie concluded. I really bought her as a fangirl of the Rescue Rangers. And, you know, I, I thought they did just a really good job of the tug of war with her as to whether you could trust her or not. I agree. I don't think it was just in the way that they wrote the character to be that red herring. I think she did a really great job of towing the line. Yeah. Dennis Haysberth plays Zipper, and I know him. Well, we all know him from the insurance commercials. He's the Allstate guy. But I remember him as Pedro Serrano from Major League, the first movie. Um, It's great because he's got that very deep voice, which... You can easily put the face to the voice, obviously, when you see him on television. Um, Hearing that voice come out of Zipper was hysterical. It was a total hit. Yeah, and that's where if you're going to change up the voice actor, it really works to give them an entirely different persona than the character that they played. I almost wish they had leaned into that more with Monty. Like, if you're not going to do Jim Cummings... Why give him the exact same voice? I mean, as much as I loved him hearing say cheese again, yeah, uh, that would have been funny to to have just you know a high pitched or, or something that you just completely weren't expecting. Yeah, so that it was great here. But I think yeah, I guess two characters doing that would have been a little too much. And then we have Devon McDonald as Jimmy the Coke Bear. Um, he was really good in this. He will always be Dwayne the bartender from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, huh. But I thought that he was a ton of fun in this. I love that they took the Coke Bear, made him into a jaded gangster type, had him working with Sweet Pete, and I thought he did a really good job with it. Agreed. All right. Final thoughts on Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Do you want to go first? Or you yeah. Go? No, I'll go first because I know you're still undecided. I can, I can see you're still undecided. <laughs> um, and I don't want to sway you. Um, no, and I'm also not going to make up my mind within the next 30 seconds or so either. So go ahead. This film is far from perfect. The biggest problem that the film has is that at times things don't feel completed to the point you made earlier. Certain things seem like they were rushed into. Um, I still don't love Dale's motivation for wanting to do Double O Dale. I think it was weak. Um, I don't, even on multiple watch, you know, I think now I've watched it three times. Admittedly, I did sneak a third viewing in. In, in three viewings, I'm still not seeing where Chip treated him poorly enough where he would have done this to everybody. Um, and every time they try to make him a sympathetic character, they just go about it the wrong way. But with all of that being said, I do think that the movie is excellent. I think it's a lot of fun. Um Call me biased because we are of that generation that grew up with the Disney afternoon. But I think more than that, 
I love the world that they created. I love that we're back in that Who Framed Roger Rabbit world. I think that if we didn't have Who Framed Roger Rabbit to bounce this off of, I think we'd be praising this a lot more than we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the casting was great. I thought the comedy was great. I thought the innuendo was great. Um could they have leaned into the adult humor a little bit more? They could have, but then I think you're just going to pigeonhole yourself where if you do want to do a Chippendale Rescue Ranger full reboot, you can't really do it because, let's be real, you're going to gear it towards kids, and if you lean too much into the adult humor here, you're going to paint yourself into a corner. Um, So I love the film. Despite its imperfections, I love the film. I'm not going to give it a perfect score, but I do think that... Uh, it's something that has a ton of rewatchability. I think it's also something that is polarizing. And for the people that don't like it, I understand why they don't like it. But for the people that love it and appreciate it, I understand why they love it and appreciate it. This is probably, I'd say this is in the top five most polarizing films we've ever talked about on this show. I would agree with that as as far as it being top five polarizing for sure. Um, But I think the reasons that it's polarizing sort of have to do with the film not working. Because to your point, they could have leaned heavier into the adult humor and and you know done like the toy story thing where it's a movie for kids but the jokes are flying over the kids heads um and i think if they had done that it would appeal to more adults because the adults that don't like it the beef comes from they don't understand it. so i think if you're looking at this as a standalone film that's where it becomes problematic and that speaks to a bigger conversation about where these franchise films are taking the industry. And it also speaks to how I feel personally about it. Um, I really liked it the first time that I saw it. And I thought upon rewatch, I was just going to love it even more. But what happened on the rewatch was that I started to see all of the plot point fails And I realized that what I loved about it the first time was the nostalgia over the story. Um, I love that they did this. I love that we got a comeback, not a reboot. Uh, I think the way that they went about it was very clever. I think it was the smart choice to do this so that you could get a cast like this into a film like this. Um, as opposed to having Mulaney and Sandberg voice two characters who are so specific, it, it just would have never worked. Uh, you know, especially when you think about other appearances of Chip and Dale, like in the Mickey cartoons and with Pluto and everything. Right. It, it, it just would have never worked, whether they were 3D CGI or, or 2D hand-drawn. This was the way to go about it. But as far as the story goes, it was just too problematic and you are riding the wave of appealing to everyone's nostalgia. And I think that's a problem with this film and a lot of other IP films. You know, it's it's a huge conversation that they're having with Marvel now. And there have been memes that have started to come out with a joke of, you know, somebody in, in 2054 has to watch 135 movies to understand what's going on now. Um 
which is a conversation that I'm interested to have. Maybe we'll we'll do that on a dockside chat. Sure. Conversely, though, maybe I should just be appreciative of the fact that they said wider audience be damned. We're just going to make a nostalgic movie for a very specific audience and and appreciate it for what it is. And I, I think I certainly will because I will watch it again. I agree with you. The rewatchability is totally there. Um, but just looking at it as a standalone film, looking at the story, it was very problematic as much as I enjoyed diving back into this world. We want to know what you have to say about Chippendale Rescue Rangers. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zalezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are hosting an event this year and you need table numbers, thank you cards, invitations, Kelly has you covered. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code monoreal 10 at checkout you can see all of the work that she does and all of the services that she has to offer at karma and kismet that's karma the letter n kismet we got a lot of news this week when it comes to disney television and disney films um i want to run through just a couple of things quickly because it's just funny that it was like a week or two ago that i i had said that we get a screen grab of something or a graphic of something. I don't get all that excited about it, so I kind of want to just blow through these now because I feel like there's more to talk about here. Um, Skeleton Crew starring Jude Law, it's going to be a Star Wars series on Disney+, Plus. is dropping uh, in 2023. It was like the most blanket statement possible. <laughs> yeah. they, they used a Jude Law headshot. It wasn't even him in a costume or a set photo. It was like his headshot that they got from IMDb with 2023. That's like a casting announcement, if anything. Yeah, but we knew that he was in it. Right. Um, Mando season three is dropping in February of 2023. There are, <laughs> I feel like people were hyped and sad in equal measure because they were so excited we finally got a date and nobody wants to wait for it. That is that is pretty far out, though. Yeah, I thought that we'd be getting it around Christmas. I mean, two more months, whatever. It's not the end of the world. Um Indiana Jones returns in 2023. We got a graphic of Harrison Ford in the iconic costume walking over a rickety bridge 
we've seen it a hundred times. I'm excited that we're getting another Indiana Jones film, but I wasn't one of these people. It's him in the costume. Of course, yes, of course it is. Of course it is. Was it though? I can't take full credit for this because uh, on Instagram, Disney broke princess said it better than I ever could. Uh, is it a poster for Indiana Jones or for the next Freddy Krueger? I couldn't agree more because that's all I saw when I saw the silhouette. It doesn't look like Indy's hat. It looks like Freddy's. We also got some trailer drops. Um, we got a trailer drop for Andor that's going to be coming to Disney Plus limited series August 31st. Of all of the... Th- of all the things we're about to talk about, this is the one I'm 1A, 1B excited about because I absolutely love Rogue One. I love that we're getting more of Cassian Andor, and I love mm-hmm. that this is shot very much in the style of Rogue One, the Mandalorian, the Book of Boba Fett, that dirty, gritty, intense kind of action. This I'm super excited about. Same. Um it's no secret. I've said it. I like all the newer Star Wars more than the old ones. Um, Rogue One is probably my favorite. Uh, so I'm excited to see that expanded on. Yeah. Willow. We got another trailer drop this this time for Willow. Um, and that's coming to Disney Plus on November 30th of this year. Hallelujah. I feel like so many of these, in particular what was released this week... Uh, was announced last year on Investor Day. And I know a lot of that has to do with post-COVID. They greenlit a lot of stuff, but they didn't have the production budgets for it yet. So this is what we're seeing is all of these uh, films and television shows that were waiting in the pipeline are finally now getting into production or coming out of production really they're they're in edit now and we're finally going to get them but this was just a slow burn and that that has nothing to do with disney's tendency to announce things and make us wait this this is all a trickle down effect of covid yeah i'm excited for this one i don't have any real attachment to willow but the trailer makes it look so cool yeah that i'm really excited for that but that is not my 1b or 1a depending on the day of the week that you ask me. My 1A slash 1B, along with Andor, is Disenchanted, which is coming Thanksgiving of this year, 2022. I've said it on the show before. Enchanted has not only, over the course of many years, become one of my favorite Disney films, it's just become one of my favorite films, period. Um, and I am excited that we are finally getting the sequel. Call me a pessimist. There is a part of me that until I see a trailer will be cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am excited that we are going back to Andalasia, that we're getting more of this story. I just hope that this film carries the same tone as the first one. Right, because we've got a great recipe here. We've added another ingredient, which is Maya Rudolph. Uh, so so everything is there. It's just don't put it in the oven and burn the cake. Yeah. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about the trailer drops this week. Are you excited for anything? Could you care less about anything? Are you looking forward to something else that's 
uh, on the slate for the next year or two. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that social media. We are on TikTok as well, at Monoreal Radio. Gave you that email address earlier, monorealradio at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.